And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning and welcome, welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you being here with us today. And hope you, hope you can stay with us till 10 o'clock when we go off the air. We're here on this, on this show every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock Eastern Time for one hour. Glad to be able to present this to you. Glad that God has blessed us to be able to bring you this hour of teaching and discussion. And we invite you to join in. This is a live call-in show. And we will be glad to take your calls, comments, and questions on whatever subject is on your mind. Uh, we have things prepared to talk about. But uh, on the other hand, we're certainly glad to talk about, maybe we're more glad to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So feel free to call if we're on one subject. You can feel free to change the subject. That isn't a problem at all. And if you've listened to the show, you know that's the case. So we're glad that you've tuned in today to the show. And like I said, I hope you make it a habit to do that because uh, we're always glad to have you. So this show is about being just New Testament Christians like they were in the first century, not just some kind of a Christian, some denominational kind of Christian that you often hear about. Most people go by different kinds of names. So they always put an adjective in front of Christian in the sense of like Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist, whatever the case may be. And we want to just be just Christian. We want to put the adjective just in front of it, as it were. Maybe that's a I think that's an improvement, don't you, Gary? Yeah. Just in front of it. And so that's a difficult task. It's not easy. And we don't claim perfection in that. But we certainly want to encourage you in that general idea and concept to want to be just a Christian rather than some kind of a Christian and then have to explain what your denomination is and all that kind of thing. And and I think that these traditions that people have, that they've grown up with, they're, uh, what they, and they'll proudly talk about their faith tradition. I think those are indefensible according to the Bible. They're just not defensible. What's defensible is the text of the scripture. Well, it derives. So we're going to, we're going to have to take a look and go back to that. Go ahead. Gary. Yeah, we, we derive where we're going from John chapter 12 and verse 48 that I've read a lot of times. Jesus says in one line in, in the paragraph he quotes, he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's where Mike and I are coming from. Exactly. Well, um, we're gonna, we can talk about whatever is on your mind. And if you want to call in, the numbers are 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. Three four zero fifteen ninety. I say numbers because that that's the regular call and number for WPSL. That's going to get you onto the show seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. We do have a couple of other text numbers that we use, uh, so you can text Gary and I <clears throat> with whatever you want to talk about either during the show, make a comment during the show. But you can't or, text me today. No, Gary didn't have his phone with him, so I'm just going to give you my number then today. <laughs> Uh, but you can text us and we'll try to get your comment on the show or you can use, leave a, a text and we'll discuss it in another show or something like that. And you feel, feel free to do that. But the, you can reach me by text today, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120 is the number. And you can feel free to text anytime at that number. 
if if you if you desire. Now, the rule of the rules of the show are we're not going to argue with you. We're going to talk with you. If we disagree, we'll say so. We'll show, tell you why. We'll try to give you a scriptural answer, something to look up uh, for the position that we take. And uh, we you, we'll give you the last word in that discussion. We don't we don't uh, say that we're going to agree with whatever uh, that you say or that you or that you have to agree with what we say. But we do want to have a discussion about that and back and forth. And so if you can stay on the on the air, we can have a conversation. Great. If not, then we'll we'll discuss it and hope that we get what you have in mind. It's sometimes difficult to add, to interpret questions correctly or at least in the way that the person would like you to so that they get the proper answer but we'll do our best to do that so 772-340-1590 well we have a phone call this morning jerry are you there uh good morning mike good morning jerry uh, uh just very briefly the story of joshua and i assume that this in the hebrew text uh would be the old testament and I was wondering, does it have something to do with human sacrifice? And uh, just exactly when they say Hebrew text, uh, they're referring to the Old Testament. And I'd like to listen off air, Mike, if that's okay. Well, let me clarify your question just well, for a second, Jerry. Well, you said that there's there's human sacrifice in the book of Joshua? Yeah, that's what, what I'm exactly. Uh, and, and mostly was he, uh, when they say the... Uh, the apostolic tropes are referring to uh, the apostles, I assume, and he, he was not one of the apostles. I think his story was back in the, the uh, Hebrew text, the Old Testament. I'd like to listen to think if that's okay. Okay, Jerry, thank you for your question. Well, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reevaluate the question just a little. First of all, yes, the story of Joshua is back in the Old Testament, and the story that I think you're referring to is back in the Old Testament. Um, and um, so it's not part of the apostolic church. The apostolic church is the church that followed the apostles' teaching in Acts 2.42 down through verse 47, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. That's the church of Jesus Christ started at the on the Jewish Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem in about A.D. 30 to 33 is when that church began. That, that's the apostolic church. And that's generally considered to be apostolic from a history standpoint all the way through the end of the first century when from what we think, the Apostle John died late in the first century, 96 AD. And then after that, other leaders took over, uh, other other elders who had been appointed in other churches. And so then you don't have the apostolic church, but you have um, the church after the apostles. They often call that the second century church, so the first century church. And so the idea of this show, for example, is to go back to what the apostles taught in the first century, because by the time you get to the second century, you already see men teaching different things than what the apostles taught. Now, I think the story that you're referring to, Jerry, about human sacrifice is not in, it's not in, in um, not in Joshua, no. not in Joshua, it's Jephthah. Jephthah is in, is Jephthah, in, in the Judges, Judges right? Yes, you have that reference there, Gary. I'm I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I, I not, for some reason, I'm having trouble looking it up myself. 
myself uh, for some reason, but here we go. Uh, the story of Jephthah is in, uh, I think, chapter 11. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, chapter 11 of the book of Joshua. There's a whole long story about Jephthah here. Uh, J-E-P-H. T-H-A-H, I had it misspelled, but Jephthah was a mighty man, a judge. Now, the judges, this is a period of time after the children of Israel conquered the land of Canaan under Joshua. Came out, came up, this came about relatively soon after Joshua had led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, driven out the inhabitants for the most part, conquered the land, and then they divide the land up according to the tribes and each tribe got their own inheritance. And then the people had elders in their own cities. They all were dwelling as it were under the law in their own cities. And then every now and then the, God had to raise up a judge, someone who the word judge means to basically to decide. And it also is the idea of bringing about a judgment or a, a, a cleavage, what if you were a separation as a judgment is the, the idea. So these wicked men would take charge, or other people would invade Israel, like the like Goliath. I mean, like the Philistines. The judges were raised up to bring about justice, to drive them out, and so forth. Sometimes the judges were just people who were helping decide disputes among the people. Other times they were military leaders. Other times, like Gideon, they were breaking down the idols. But these were great these were leaders men and then deborah being a judge also that were brought raised up among the people to do god's will now one of these men was uh, named uh, jephthah yeah and in judges 11 about verse 29 let's let's take a running well uh he, he's fighting the people of ammon who were live who lived on the what will be the east side of the Jordan River, descendants of Lot. They came up against Israel, and it said in verse 32 of Joshua 11. So Jephthah advanced uh, toward the people of Ammon to to fight them, and uh, he went out against them. God gave him a victory, and so forth. Now then, verse 34. This is the part that Jerry's get it, was getting at. I think I believe that's right. Well, the, the story goes back. Jephthah had to fight a battle, and he made a promise to God that whatever first came out of his house when he got home, if he won the battle, right. this would be offered. He, he as, won, verse 34. So when he came yeah. to his right, he made a vow to God that whatever first he saw from his house, he would sacrifice to God. So Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah. There was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. And besides her, he had neither son nor daughter came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I had given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So he, so she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what you has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. And then she said to his father, her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. And he, so he said, go. He sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends, bewailed her virginity on the mountains. So it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father. He carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed, and she so she knew no man. 
And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went forth four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, this is this. There's two possible. And we have another call, but we're going to wait just for a second. If Laura, if you can hang on uh, just for a minute, let me answer Jerry's question. The debate in this passage has always been for centuries. Did Jephthah actually go and kill his daughter and sacrifice her to the Lord? Or did he do something else? in fulfillment of his vow, because killing her and sacrificing to the Lord would have been a direct violation of the law of Moses if he had done so. Now, this is a warning about making a rash vow, that's for sure, because he made a vow not knowing what the possible circumstances could be, and then he was faced with this conundrum when it turned out differently. So we should be careful about what we vow to the Lord, what we say we're going to do, we could, have, we could have a whole show on that, which Gary's already yeah. done some of those. But the question is, did he actually kill her, lay her down on a slab and slit her throat and offer to the Lord as if God would accept that sacrifice? That's the question. Do you think God could accept this? Or did he, as it's implying here, some people say, did he put, did he isolate her so she could never marry? He had no descendants because of this. The Jephthah's vow resulted in him having no descendants because his daughter remained a virgin, and so she bewailed her virginity in two months. He carried out his vow. And and, and I think part of the leaning toward this view is the very end of verse uh, the, the end of verse, verse 39, 39 says, she, she knew, knew no, no man. man. Well, obviously, if he killed her, she knew no man. It's that I think that that point's being made there that that's what he did. Instead of killing her, he sacrificed her to the Lord in that she knew no man and she was never able to have a child carry on her legacy in Israel or his legacy and so forth. So that's the two possible interpretations. I, I tend to take that one. I don't believe that God would require of this man that he that he actually literally violate the law of God by killing someone. Jehovah wouldn't accept the sacrifice. Now, the only reason this is sometimes pointed out real quickly, we'll wrap this up. Sometimes this is pointed out, oh, oh, see, the God of Israel, he's just like the foreign gods. He he uh, accepts human sacrifice. Well, the whole point, the whole reason this story is in the New Old Testament is because it doesn't fit. OK, it doesn't fit the normal course of things. God did not accept human sacrifice. It was expressly against his will, whereas the other pagan gods, human sacrifice was not against their their will. And so As a matter the story of fact, actually re- reaffirms the fact that the Israelites could not do human sacrifice. As a matter of fact, God condemned them for that human sacrifice. Yes, and, and he, he said he would drove them out of their land because of human sacrifice right. later. So I don't believe that Jephthah, this is my opinion, because I, I can't prove it from this text, that he actually killed his daughter. I think he sacrificed her virginity and sacrificed his legacy in Israel uh, by, by his vow. His, his vow and, is very and, costly to him. Right. And even though he commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he provided a different outcome. He stayed his hand. Yes, that was a, that's what that's why it was a test of faith for Abraham. And this this was a test of keeping his word. Notice she says in verse 36. So she said to him, my father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to all that has gone out of your mouth. If you look for that phrase in other places, God says, if it comes out of your mouth, you do it. That, no, that's and that's the, that that argues the other direction that he actually did do this. But there would be very little um, 
very little there's no mention of how this would happen this way right how he actually did this so i take the position that he did not kill her but that he sacrificed her in some other way now uh, in any event that's debatable i'm only telling you what the text says and we'll go on from there so that i think that's the story of the human sacrifice it wasn't joshua it was jephthah an easy thing to confuse okay we have another phone call laura are you there on the phone uh, yes. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How dear. are you? Oh, blessed and highly favored. It's good to be the daughter of a king. <laughs> yep. Um, absolutely correct. Because even when you date back, as Jerry's wanting to know, to Cain and Abel, he did not allow anybody to kill Cain either in vengeance. He put a mark on his head. So we know, other than the sacrifice of Jesus, that he doesn't condone violence. Right. And, and he did not ask other people. Every scripture in the New Testament can be verified in the Old Testament and vice versa because it's the whole testament of right. God. Now, there is, a, there is a division between the two. All of God's word applies to us. Uh, there is a there, there is a difference in the application between the old and new that we have to respect, but it doesn't mean that whatever we find in the Old Testament doesn't really apply anymore. But he says that the testament of Jesus Christ is was not in effect until after he died, and that and when there is a death of the testator, where there's a testament, there must also be the death of the testator, and that was Christ. This is Hebrews chapter 9. And he said that, that there is a first covenant, verse 15, Hebrews 9, 18, excuse me. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood and so forth. So there, there's this first covenant, and then there is this second covenant that is established, the second testament. And so we have both, and we have to rightly divide these two to understand things properly. But what I say about this law, about whether these laws apply, I say, yes, all, all scripture applies. The question is, how does it apply? Okay, how does it apply? Uh, that's the question, not whether God's word applies. How does it apply? In each individual person. This is why it is an intimate, personal relationship for every individual, unique yet fitting into the body as Corinthians says, as a whole, every single human being alive today fits somewhere in the body of Christ by the love of God and the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus when they choose to believe and accept that gift. So are you saying every human is a part of the, a part of the covenant of God? In the body of Christ, you have to choose want that place you have to hear god knocking on the door of your heart is given in revelation 3 10 and heed that call open right, that I, I think the only heart i think the only humans that there isn't a human being alive today that can or cannot do that depending on what they hear well there's not a human being that that is that is prevented from being in the body of christ only thing that prevents them is their will, their desire to serve God, their willingness. But if they don't serve him, 
then they're not in the body of Christ. Go ahead. And the mercies of the Lord are new each and every morning. So should they be alive the next day, they get another chance. Well, that's correct. Now, if they don't take that chance, they're not in the body, they'll be judged for that. Those in the body will be judged based upon what they do with that new day that you just talked about. That's correct. So it's not like there's a whole bunch of people out there that God just doesn't want and he is going to prevent them from being saved. And there's other people that he loves and he's going to save them. I know some religions teach that, but I agree with you. I don't think the Bible teaches. I think the Bible teaches that all of us can come to Christ and have opportunity to come. The question is whether we will hear and do what Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you don't come, then you can't be in the body. That's the problem. Sure, because I think we can agree that a lot of people in many different churches or wherever they choose to worship or listen or whatever, half God has them on by now because he's ordained everybody's days. Okay, so a lot of people need to know that no matter where they've been and where they've gone, they've God's always been guiding them. He watches over all humanity. He shows no partiality, but he does give us the free will to accept that gift. Well, there's no partiality in that God doesn't... Not to condemn any places of worship, should they be them right or be them wrong, because God is the judge. Yeah, God's the judge. And Jerry, Gary read the verse a few minutes ago that said God said he was going to judge us by what's in his word. So it isn't like people can directly disobey God's word. And my response is, well, God's going to be the judge. You know, God is going to be the judge. That's true. And he told us he's going to judge us by his word. So I need to be cautious, not only how I live, so that it's according to God's word and what I t- teach according to God's word, but then, like I say, what I teach other people is according to God's word, because he's going to judge them according to that, not according to how I feel about them, uh, whether I want them to be saved or don't. You know, God doesn't judge by that. He judges by his word. So this is both the good part and the scary part of the Bible. And and uh, okay, I don't everybody really has to think scary about the Bible, but that's just where he's taking me in life, because I don't speak. Um, of anything but my life experience that I can remember from a child to now on where he's walked me through this earth uh, and the traumas I've dealt with and the things I've been able to lay before him. Because what you just said before, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. See that some churches teach a yoke to be heavy when it's not, because if you keep giving him everything, this is what we forget in the world between work and families and all of this stuff and bills. If we don't keep giving him our cares and our anxieties and worries and the things of the day, before we leave the house, it makes it hard during. And we need to have compassion that in today's society, people's days start at all different times. There's different shifts. There is quite a change. But the love of God, the, the, the unadulterated love of God by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus that finished and completed everything, that love 
needs to go forth on this earth no matter what. God never said in his word to clean up your act before you come to me. He just said, come. Right. And, but when you come, then you have to clean up your act. That's what repentance is. Repentance uh, is turning away from the old life that you lived. Okay, you, you don't have to be clean before you come, but you got to get clean. Okay. No. You, 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 you can struggle with things. God knows the heart. Some things are going uh, to clean right. up, and some things may not, depending on where your life ends. But as long as you keep trying every day and you build that relationship, because Romans 8, gosh, you can almost start in the beginning when Paul says he was fully persuaded that neither life nor death nor and the whole list goes on and nothing in all creation will ever separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus. To put some kind of crazy human standard on that makes the gospel of no effect because like he who is without sin cast the first stone. So we got nothing bad to say about anybody else except to go to God and build that relationship and he will see you through life. And he will prompt them by the Holy Spirit, no badgering by my pastor made me put down cigarettes. But when God told me to put him down and I did argue back with him, long story, okay, but I did after the third time he spoke to me, throw the cigarettes away. I wasn't happy. I was cranky because that addiction will do that. Any addiction will do that, just like food. Any well, Laura, Laura, so you said that you're, you're saying, and you're correct, that God said nothing, life nor death nor nothing like can separate from love of God. But that's on God's part. In Christ Jesus. He, in. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, about his own life, I also therefore run, meaning run the Christian life, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as beating the air, but I buffet my body and bring it into some bondage or subjection, lest by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. So Paul said there was a daily struggle that he had to bring his body under subjection to Christ and he called it buffeting his body. He's having to kind of beat it in line because he doesn't want to sin against God. So, yes, God's not going to leave us, but we can leave God by disobedience, by repeated continual disobedience. And that's the problem of the message that all you got to do is just love God every day and, and smile and you'll all be saved. That isn't that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says it takes a lot more than just having good feelings about God to be saved. Uh, and please him, and that's the difficult part of it. Verses 9 and 10 give you the stipulation to be saved. So unfortunately, some people are going to be saved solely by the skin of their teeth and that belief in those words, and that is for God to judge and work. This is why... I, 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 missed, the, I missed the scripture that, that you just gave. ...to get a personal relationship, read those scriptures, listen to those scriptures, write those scriptures, whatever works for you, because God created you. As in see, you, you keep saying it's only for God. Fearfully you keep saying it's only for God to judge, but God is going to judge by the word that he established. 
don't worry about what men say. What is God going to say about your behavior and your thoughts? That's what you should be concerned about, not whether some church or somebody else makes a rule. I, I missed the scripture that you just gave, Laura, verses 9 and 10, but I missed the first part. What was that? Romans, Romans, Romans 10, verses 9 and Romans 10, 9 and 10. Okay. That I, I, I didn't... Um, I didn't catch that. Let me look that up. Let's make sure that I'm thinking what it is. Well, while you're looking that up, there was one I wanted to look at. It's First uh, Peter. Actually, it's First Peter 4 and beginning of verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? He says, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? or the disobedient in, in this case. Because he says, what's going to be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Yeah. Well, in the passage in Romans 10, 9 and 10, a great passage, and we can talk about that for a long time, talks about confessing with your mouth uh, that Christ is, that God has raised him, and believing in your heart and so forth. You know, a lot of religions say you can't do anything to be saved. Well, right here it says you can need to confess with your mouth to be saved, for one thing. But that isn't the only passage that talks about being saved. And I would pair that one up, as it would be, with the passage I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9, just for example. That Paul said even after he was saved, he had to buffet his body daily, uh, lest he become a castaway because he's disobeying God. So for the new Christian, that's what that's the that's the job. Come to Christ, repent, receive salvation, receive forgiveness, and then begin to live according to the law that God gave for Christians to purify themselves as it were of their past sins and then uh always depending upon Christ. Because when you confess that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. You are saying he is my Lord. And as a servant, you obey your Lord. That's what's often forgot about this business of Christ being the Lord. It means he has the right to tell you how to live. And so I should be concerned, not with what other people say about me. Oh, you can't judge me. Don't worry about what other people are judging you. Worry about whether Christ is judging you for disobedience. Worry about whether the word of God is going to judge right. you. And I'm not speaking that. to you, Laura, personally. I'm just but, talking about that in general. But that's generally what the Bible teaches. I, I'd, I'd go to Romans 2, basically, uh, more in line with verse 5. He says, but in accordance with your hardness and your impertinent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, God's truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. This is quite a picture there. Right. So, Laura, let me ask you, did you say in the beginning, I might have misunderstood you, did you say that you agreed with the understanding that Jephthah did not actually kill, lay his daughter down and kill her as a sacrifice? Oh, yes. No, I agree with that because God doesn't condone her violence, so he'd always make another way. Just like Cain, just like Abraham and I, he did, oh, 100%. The only the only, only because he resurrected him, he can, you know, Jesus had to go through what he went through, you know, in order to save us. And if he didn't have to do it, he wouldn't have done that either. But there was no other way for him the to, interesting to save us oh, go ahead. to sacrifice himself. 
because this is ultimately a war between good and evil, not people. Ephesians 4, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So there really shouldn't be any argument. There really, I mean, sometimes we disagree and it's okay. We go back to the scriptures. We sit in the presence of Almighty God, which is our best presence ever given. That's what Jesus did. He bought that with his precious blood and water, the manifest presence of God in everyone's life that chooses to call him Lord. And even the one searching, because we don't know when God's going to open somebody's eyes to his goodness. No, we certainly we can't condone what they may be doing at the present, but we certainly don't know when they might be, their eyes might be opened up and and uh, so forth. And, and tell them to keep working. Keep asking. The book of Judges is interesting. If you struggle with the same thing in the next week or the day, ask for repentance again. Keep reading the scriptures. Guide them. Ask the Holy Spirit. Keep trying to surrender and buffet your body. Sure. God, the whole thing is to never quit on this Christian race once you start. It's to always keep trying because until you take your last breath, you got a chance to try to do your best, but God knows the heart. Some people just struggle with things, but if he's their Lord and their Father, they're going to be saved by the skin of their teeth. Well, we don't want to live that way. Some of us have a great zeal for God. And choose to buffet our bodies more than others or less than others in some aspects. I just want everybody to know that God loves them. He gave Jesus for us as the sacrifice to finish and fulfill all those laws that the animal sacrifices primarily in Leviticus wasn't sufficient enough to do. And the new commandment, it is the marquee on Sunday. The idea of fulfilling those laws is not that that means that they... God loves the person sticking a needle to his arm just as much as he loves the preacher on the pulpit or anybody else. He loves them all. That doesn't mean he's not going to judge them. That's the problem or condemn them. God loves every person, and that's why he sent his son to save them. But if they don't respond... Bond to his son, they'll still be lost. And guess what? God will still love them even when they're lost. That's the problem. They say, well, God loves everybody. That only solves part of the problem. Of course he does. The question is, what's he going to what's he going to do when you disobey him? He may love you, but he's going to punish you when you disobey him. I would like to point out one thing. It's he's not going to, going to get consequences in the natural realm. Okay, and getting arrested is not a punishment. All the best disciples got arrested. And, and there's going to be and there's going to be eternal consequences for disobedience. So that maybe when those doors open up and they leave, depending on what they're possibly accused of, they may get a better life. But the love I don't know. If, I don't see how, what you, I don't understand what you're trying to, to say there, Laura. They did not wind up in hell because they all understood that Jesus was Lord. They just never got past because the voice of the enemy, and he does have a voice. He's utterly powerless, as I have come to learn. Through my I, I don't understand what you're saying here, uh, Laura. Are, are you talking about? Are you trying to say that everybody who lives is going to be saved? Are there going to be people that are going to be lost? 
Well, God wishes no one would perish, so I just wait and watch, and I pray that somebody finds his love every day, that that satisfying love, that agape love that just melts your heart. Well, I understand. I know that, but are you saying that that people are not going to be lost because God loves everybody? You know, Jesus said the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. Those are his words. What's that? expect my father to get exactly what he wants no one to perish if that's what he says you know Wait, if, if what is what he says about i get what he wants he's gotten what he's wanted the whole entire time he's been in existence but i don't know the answer i see him face to face i guess i'll ask him well god god is not willing that any should perish he doesn't want them to perish but they obviously will perish Jesus says that the way to destruction is broad, and many there are that find it in Matthew 7, and few there are that are saved. So God is already God may want everyone to be saved, but he also calls us to repentance. That's why Paul says our God, or excuse me, the writer of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, yes, Jesus came to show us God's love and to give to, to, to not only to show it, but to live it so that we could be saved. But that that then the rest of that falls on you and I to obey him by becoming obedient to the gospel, as you mentioned, and then following up with obedience to Christ as our king. Otherwise, all that's left is a fearful expectation of judgment because God is God loves us, but he. He came and gave his son because he loves us, but he is not. He cannot live eternally in the presence of sin, of sin, and he's not going to. That's the problem. That's the scary part about the Bible that we have to realize. So we can we can hope and we can pray and we can influence. We can try to live a life of salt and light for the people around us. We can speak the gospel, but in the end, if people don't obey the gospel of Christ. They're going to be lost. That includes me, includes you, if we don't. Does God give us help in that? Yes. When you become a Christian, you have all kinds of help and aid by Christ through the Holy Spirit to help you live the right life and to continue to grow and to progress. And God's patient and loving. But there are people who simply reject completely the gospel of Christ. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning. They can unreject. They can accept it at any moment. No, they can. Can put a time frame on the day somebody accepts it. Wouldn't I, I, I can't. Or I can't. One time. Today, I can put a time frame on. It's the day of their death when they die. Out. When they die. What's going to happen to somebody? Okay. Are when, you going to tell me that Toby Mac's oldest son? who died from a one-time use of drugs during an experiment at the age of 21, did not make it? I don't know what to say about that. Uh, What does God say about drug use? It was a one-time and it was peer pressure, but he knows Jesus is Lord. That's your your understanding of it. But I fully believe that he is accepted into heaven because Jesus was his Lord and Savior. And Toby Matt's song called 21 years and a lot of other things 
to back You, you back could say that, Laura, but that's completely we your opinion. He shrugged. You, you told me before. No, wait, Laura. Stop. Stop for a second. Stop for a second. Anybody well, stop, stop for a second. Stop. You told me a minute ago before in the show, you said that no. You've you got to stop for just a second and let me say my piece now. You said earlier in the show that no one can judge another person. That's only God can judge them. And yet you just judged that Toby Mac was innocent of killing himself with drugs or whoever it was. I'm not sure who it was because they only did it one time. Is that not judging? You just judge where you told me you couldn't judge. God will be the judge of that man. God knows what it was all about. He knows the circumstances. But I can't sit here today reading the Bible and tell you, oh, yes, I think that's all fine. Go tell young people. I can't tell young people. It's okay if you just use drugs a little bit. It's okay. And if you die from them, it's all going to be fine. God will forgive you for that. I have no authority as a gospel preacher to tell people that from God's word. I can give them my opinion might be I hope that God saves them. But I have no authority to speak that in God's name because God didn't say that you can use drugs just a little and you'll be okay if you die. So you are judging. You're just judging in a you're using it to mean judge in a negative way, but you're judging in the other way. And both, neither one of us have a right to do that. Neither you nor I have a right to do that. Well, Does that the, make any sense? The only thing that we have as a guide is the word of God. Because Jesus says that's what will judge us in the last day. That's what will judge us at the point of death. And so that's what we have to go by. Uh, it, it says, in Jesus, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So the question that Jesus is going to look at is, did this person, no matter how they died or when, did they obey what I said? And then that's going to be what he's going to decide upon. What I wrote and left for people, that's how he's going to decide. That's what he's told us. Yes. I can't change that. I 100% agree. We have to have endless patience with people until until they're gone, dead and gone. I don't have any right to say, well, they can't be saved and they're never going to do this or never going to do that. I don't know what people are going to do. And I keep hoping and praying with people that they will do. the. And I hope pray for me that God uh, even gives me to the last. To even the right Paul day. says, if I if I if I give up on this, God's going to give up on me. Even after all the things that the Apostle Paul did, he says, if I give up on God, he's going to give up on me. Well, we'll go back to the story of Jephthah. I I can't sit here and tell you, and I don't think the lesson from the story of Jephthah is it's okay to make rash vows and it'll all turn out fine. And Jephthah was a good man, and Jephthah was a good man, but that incident in the Bible really mars his reputation. And I don't know what God's going to do with that. I believe that he is going to save Jephthah in spite of this because of Jephthah's attitude about it. Uh, but I, I don't think it's a recommendation to say, well, there's a story in the Bible where God made a rash. God made a rash vow and it was OK. So I can back I can, out easily of what I said. Rash vows. I don't think that that's ex- uh, at all the story that, that there. Now, Jephthah and the others are mentioned. The only reason I can have some confidence in Jephthah is I believe he's mentioned Hebrew 11 as one of the heroes of faith of the Old Testament. 
because he did demonstrate his faith in God throughout his life. In fact, his willingness to keep his vow was a, a testament to his faith in God and God's word. Now, what God does with all that, like I said, that's all God's business there. See, we, we see Abraham as being told to sacrifice Isaac. And God, what did God say? He wanted to know what Abraham would do. And he said after he stayed, Abraham's after Abraham started down basically with the knife ready to kill Isaac, he stayed his hand and said, God said, now I know that you trust and believe in me. Yes. We we keep saying, well, God knows the heart, Laura, but okay. how, how, how does God know the heart? He knows the heart by what he sees us do. Yeah, and take me to the service. Moses died overlooking the promised land for his disobedience. But if you fast forward to the transfiguration of Jesus, who do the disciples see with him? Moses and Elijah. So even though Moses I think that there's some he ultimately made it home. We're not saying that if you commit a sin that you, one sin that God's going to throw you away. That isn't at all what's being said here, Laura. And that's true of Moses. But God judged him for that. And had Moses demonstrated a high haughtiness of, well, I get to live my life the way I want to, then I don't think he would have been saved. But there are, but the Jesus is very clear. There are many, many people who are going to be lost and not go to heaven because they refuse to obey Christ, including all those religious people that were alive in Jesus' day. They're simply not going to be saved because they don't care about what God says and don't do what God says. So I'm not here in the business of trying to excuse people's sins. I'm here to try to correct and teach and rebuke them for the sin, and that includes my sin so that we can obey the Lord. There's only one way I know to be saved, and that is to obey. And that includes the initial commands to obey the gospel. Come unto me and confess with your mouth and be baptized. Those those things have to be obeyed. But we're going to, according to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to receive the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. We're going to receive the punishment or the reward for those deeds done in the body. That includes whether before we're a Christian, after we're a Christian. And I don't get to decide how much is too no, much. You don't either. Uh-uh, because when you get baptized, when I got baptized in 2005, full immersion at 800 Southeast Monterey Road, and you can find out what that address is, although there's not an ounce of shame in my game, and I live a fishbowl effect life. Everything prior to that was left at the bottom, and I rose up a new creation because everyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away and it is gone, which backs up the mercies of the Lord are new each and every morning. So hopefully we all make a better strive for obedience in the morning. But I don't put my obedience, the amount of subjecture I give this body to my heavenly father on nobody else but me because their walk is different than mine. They can do the well, same. Sure. Nobody disagrees with that. Their walk is different. And each one will be judged for the deeds done in their body. It, 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 basically, what we have, have what Mike can. Through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And let him and the Holy Spirit walk with them daily wherever they may go. 
and pray well, that coming. they learn that obedience is way better than sacrifice, because that's what Jesus ultimately taught. But I got to let him pee and do some things. You guys have a very great I appreciate it. Thank you. Laura, it's great to hear you. Thanks for calling. We appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Bye now. This this whole thing, it's like difference in in, in the way we're going to say. You you can talk to people, and I do this, have done this for 50 years, people who are struggling in particular kinds of sins and addictions. Part of what I have to say to that person is to encourage them. And, and I've talked – I've sat down and had face-to-face conversations, Gary, as we've talked about before, with people who are murderers who confess to me that they murdered someone. They want to know – and I'm trying to teach them, convince them that they can be baptized for the remission of their sins. We think I tell that person, oh, no, you committed murder, so you can't be saved. Of course they can be saved. Can they continue to have that murderous heart? No, they can't. And if they go back to that lifestyle after they've been baptized, they'll be lost. I think this is another issue that we didn't really get to with Laura or others. That's the issue that's sitting there in front of us like the big elephant in the room. But they will be lost. Let me let me try to explain, I think, where we're coming from that may be different from what Laura is saying. In Romans, uh, no, 1 Peter 4, and I read the passage beginning in verse 17, says, for the time has come – for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the and he continues, it and he quotes an Old Testament passage: If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? Mike, what I believe you and I are trying to get across is Jesus puts a great deal of emphasis on the obedience to His word. And he is the one that will do judge, and he is the one that will extend mercy if it's needed. And what he's saying here, the righteous one is scarcely saved. What happens when we deliberately disobey? What you and I are saying is the Bible emphasizes and God's word emphasizes the idea that we should know what God wants of us and we should obey those things. That's what his desire is. Right. And that's what we're trying to teach from the Bible. What isn't in the Bible is when we say, okay, well, it's not important. I, just as long as my heart is right with God, God's going to have mercy on me and be saved. I don't find that in Scripture. Right. I just don't find that. It's not, it's not a part of what's there. And I know that's a very comforting thought, but I just don't find it there. Uh, the emphasis is on obedience, the emphasis is on knowing, and, and the point I make is how does God know what's in our heart? Now, of course, he's God. He can do anything he likes. But one of the things the Bible tells me is the way God knows what's in our heart is he looks at what we do. He watches what we do. What we say and do. That's what right. we say and do. And therefore, we have to be careful about what we say and do. That's where I think the differences are. That That's about as close as I can get. It's a poor try, but maybe that's helpful, helpful to somebody. Well, I think it's just a re- – I think part of this is a uh, revulsion at the idea that God might actually eternally condemn someone. And since our whole culture is built on the fact that don't judge me, then everything has to flow backwards from that. 
that you can't judge me. You, you can't ever say I'm doing wrong. You can't you can't imply that I might be lost. It goes back to religiously that way. And so the idea then comes back, flows backwards that, well, everybody's going to be saved no matter what they've done and so forth. And that simply is not Bible teaching. Right. Bible teaching is that God loves man. And therefore, because he loves man, he gave his son for to die for man. And he sent the apostles and the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live, to please God, to avoid being lost because and, and so forth. And some people simply reject that notion. They do not want. I'm going to talk this morning about a guy here on the Internet tweeting uh, that Jesus is a fake God because Zeus is a better God, you know, and and Jesus, Jesus demonstrated all the attributes of a losing God. But but Zeus is a great God. Now, if that man doesn't repent of that heresy and of that blasphemy, he's going to be lost. It's very simple. And, and whether I like it, whether you like it, whether anyone likes it, that's the case. So this is both the terror and the joy of the gospel. On the other side of the coin, for those, uh, God is patient with everybody. Uh, someone, who was it? Norman Lear, okay, died the other day. Norman, you know, Norman Lear created all these raunchy sitcoms back in the 70s and 80s yeah. and was a avowed atheist and, and just despised anything to do with Christianity. He lived to be 101 years old. And you know what my comment to my wife was when I read the headline? This is the kind of person I am, Gary. I said, boy, God gave him a long time to repent, didn't he? When it says God is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. See, you, for, you say he's not willing that any should perish, but it says he's long-suffering. That means he's only going to put up with it for a while, a long while. But after a while, he's not going to put up with it anymore. He's not going to tolerate it. So, yes, God was patient with Norman Lear, gave him 101 years to try to repent and turn to Christ. He didn't, apparently, as far as I know. Maybe he did, but I don't know that he did. And that's what that means. Now, in that case, here's a man who set himself against God and things that are good. Uh, God is plainly said that person is going to be lost. He loves him, but they're going to be lost because they cannot enter the eternal kingdom with that kind of sin. He's never availed himself of the cleansing blood of Christ. God was patient for 101 years. I can imagine if you knew the details, you would see endless cases where God's providence was nudging Norman Lear to repent, to change his mind, and he rejected it at every turn. And you see this. People are given chances and chances and chances to repent. Every time they do, it's just chance appears. They reject that chance. They've got some reason why. Every now and then, somebody will change their mind late in life and repent, but oftentimes they do not. It's a sad situation. Gary, it's one of the worst parts of being a preacher or a minister. One of the worst parts is to see this thing right, right here. And yet, there it is. I can't, it's, I can't escape that part of it. No, nor should we try. God's judgment is fearsome. It is to be feared. It is to be respected. Yes. His love is to be admired and adored and honored okay, and accepted. But his judgment is to be feared and his wrath is to be trembled at. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, that's, that's probably too old fashioned for well, people's taste today. But but there's a, the there's the aspect of it that, you know, when I quote a passage to someone like uh, Acts 238, he says, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, this is what Peter told them to do when they asked what we should do. 
and and someone says, well, that's your opinion. And my response is really, though, that's not my opinion. You're not really arguing with me. If you believe this is the word of God, you're arguing with God. I just quoted the scripture to you. I think you've done that, too, in several places, too. Source. It, it's uh, and, and what I say to people is, well, OK, you don't like my interpretation. Get your own interpretation, but take the words that are there seriously. Don't discount them. Don't blow them off. So may, maybe you don't like this. And there are several Christian doctrines, Gary, that deal with this problem in a different way. Uh, there are several Christian doctrines that basically say that God loves everybody. And so Christ came. He offered his blood as a sacrifice for everybody. And therefore, once he died, all sin was washed away. All sin, past, present and future. And there, there is no such thing as sin any longer. So none of us are accountable to do anything because when we do sin, it doesn't matter because Christ's blood paid the price for it. That's a Christian doctrine. It's wrong. And then some say, well, um, God loves everybody so much he can never he can never send anybody to hell. The problem with that doctrine is the one who talked the most about hell by far in the whole Bible is Jesus. Jesus. He is personally, if you look in your Bible under the word hell and so forth, you will see in red most all those passages if you have one of those red letter Bibles. So it's hard to say Jesus didn't talk about hell and doesn't believe in hell when he's the personally in the Bible. Now, you can say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, now that's another whole set of problems. See, that's where you're led to, Gary. This key, this whole teaching about God could never cause anybody to be lost pushes you, pushes you, pushes you away from belief in the Bible. That's what it does. Eventually, you have to throw the whole Bible away. Well, because that's what some people do. Well, because the rational person can't reconcile all these different passages to get that result. Right. You, you've got to look at a rat. Yeah, you've got to look at all the passages. You can't just look at one passage and say, "Okay, this is all encompassing in everything that we have." We've got to we've got to reconcile all these different passages that talk about. He basically says all these liars and fornicators and have no part in the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, somebody if they're there that they're going to have no part in the kingdom of heaven. What does that imply? Well, they're going to be in hell. Sorry, yes. and that's that is exactly right. And, but and we're so out of time, aren't we? We're close. We're, we've got about a minute and a half here, about two minutes. So I uh, just want to wrap things up here a little bit. We appreciate Jerry calling, appreciate Laura calling. It's funny how those two subjects a little bit overlap in that we can always we can have our opinions about what happened to Jephthah. I think God kind of settles that in Hebrews 11. And there are men like that who whose sins are present and you see them in the Bible, but yet they're saved. And there are other people who are simply lost in the Bible. And the differences are not only their actions, but then what was their heart like. So both of those things go together as far as that. Well, let, let's wrap things up. We appreciate you listening today. I didn't do my thing of giving you the numbers again and again. I apologize for that. But we thank you for listening. But remember, the heart produces the action. Right. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there and you'll find resources. We're fixing to do a big update of that. But you'll find big resources of sermons and resources of other material. You can go back and listen, search, searchable database there. A lot of information about the church. Come and visit us at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 
southwest of Bona Boulevard. That's the corner of California and Savona on the southwest side behind the little shopping center. We meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study. We're studying how to study the Bible. And we meet at 11 o'clock for worship. And we meet at 7.30 on Wednesday night is when we meet. So you can come visit us. We're not going to ask you for money. Just find regular people here. Come and give us a chance. We'd love to see you if you'll do that. So we invite you to do those things. And we appreciate you listening. Hope that you'll tune again in again to the show next week at 9 o'clock on WPSL. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie, heard every Sunday morning from 9 a.m. till 10 a.m. on WPSL Port St. Lucie.